welcome everybody to another episode of a conversation with here on keyboard core presented by one bone i am your host e spencer kite and i am excited today to be joined by an og in the sports betting space an og in the mma betting space and odds setting space the mma odds breaker himself you know him from ufc on the line and the gambler's perspective on fight pass he is nick kalikas thank you for doing this man i really appreciate it no thank you for having me man it's a pleasure to do a show somebody that dates back so far as you have talk about og man you are one of the originals one of the best in the business so i'm on, it's an honor really to join you i greatly appreciate that it's it's sort of part of the reason i reached out was like i've known of you and i think we've interacted on twitter for a number of years there's a bunch of people i know that you work with and so it was like i'm doing this show i'm doing some mma gambling i'm doing some mma betting doing the betting show every week let me get somebody else on i had danced up on earlier in the in the season let me get somebody else on that can bring me some insights that we can dive into this a little more because as i said with dan i'm a degenerate gambler from way back and then i'm reformed now but like when you were sick, you know, I was, I was a 16 year old at the track. It's just <laughs> yeah, in there. It's, it's, it's in the blood. And so now that MMA has become a thing, we're combining the two worlds. Let's get into this. Yes, sir. Beautiful. I love it, man. I love <laughs> but, the background. But the place we start as always is when did you fall in love with combat sports? Cause I know in doing my research, it's pretty early on. <laughs> yes. Um, for me, it was more of the striking aspect of things. I mean, I was taking Taekwondo lessons at a young age. I unofficially started around three. I think I officially started around six. My dad was a black belt in Taekwondo, so he kind of got me into the martial arts, and I just fell in love right away, especially the fighting aspect of things. I was just, I was kind of an aggressive little kid, and uh, right away, I wasn't like afraid to get in there and start sparring and stuff. So I had success early on. There you go. Likewise, right? Yeah, that's awesome. So that's what kind of gave me the passion for it. And then, I, you know, from like age of eight years old, I, I told myself, you know, one day people would ask me, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I said, I'm going to be a Taekwondo instructor because I, I just had the passion from that far, you know, that deep. So it, it ended up to be true, like age 15 or so. We actually, I mean, we'll get into that a little bit, but I, we ended up opening our own uh, martial arts academy when I was about 15 years old. So, I mean, the striking aspect in the martial arts and that type of background, but, you know, like I said, it's been a long time, most of my life, honestly. So I too was was a young kid that had that aggressive streak and was like, oh, I get to kick people. I get to punch people like the Karate Kid, like the yes. Ninja Turtles, like sign me up. So I did Taekwondo myself for a number of years, actually was fortunate to train with an Olympic bronze medalist um, from the 88 games. So that was really cool to see wow, that nice. progression can be there, right? Like somebody that's right there had this success at the highest level. I know you eventually went on to have some tremendous success yourself in sport karate yes correct so we transitioned my instructor died actually like i said taekwondo so he ended up passing away when i was about 11 or 12 years old um he had stomach cancer so it was just all sudden it, it was crazy and, and he was one of like obviously my mentor one of like he was almost um an uncle to me that's how close kind of we were my dad was a barber he used to cut his hair so it was just like the relationship was so strong and when he died it was devastating um, so he passed away we were just kind of looking for different places to, to land. And we saw like, I was 
unaware of the sport karate scene back then. It was all Taekwondo, traditional Taekwondo, which is a little bit different because you're using, as you know, like more of your legs and sport karate kind of is more of a combined 50-50. They were using their hands a lot more. So I got introduced from somebody to the sport karate world and I immediately kind of fell in love with it, especially because I was like, you know what, in a real situation, I mean, obviously it's not going to be all kicking. It's going to be a little <laughs> bit more of a blend. So I said, this would be, you know, probably right up my alley. Um, so I made the transition to sport karate and got my butt kicked, man. I was having success at Taekwondo, but at the beginning, like the first five or six tournaments when I made the transition wasn't pretty at all. It was pretty bad. So, but it took, you know, that learning curve a little bit, uh, went home, did some extra drills, started just watching some of the guys that were having extreme success, trying to mock some of the stuff they were doing, implemented in my game plan, all that stuff. So it, it did work. Uh, and I started actually winning tournaments on the local scene, the sport karate scene. Um, our team, then we started, you know, training specifically more for that. We started building up, you know, well, actually I'm, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but like, again, I kind of spoiled it. We were like 15, 16. I opened up, uh, we opened up Kalika Taekwondo, my dad and I. Uh, so from that sport karate background, the transition into that, we ended up opening our own place. I was traveling around a little bit and sparring and, and, you know, with some of the local instructors out there, to be honest with you, even at age like 13, 14, I was doing very well to the point where I was like, wow, I mean, I, I, again, not to be egotistical, but I was having so much success with, right. even, you know, some high-end instructors lo locally that you could tell, like, you know, I, I, it was a different level, so to speak. I had some kind of, I don't know, special talent, I guess, at that point. And uh, so I told my dad, I was like, you know what, dad, we're, I mean, we should just do it ourselves, you know? So we got under an instructor that was higher up and kind of got under him as far as testing and everything like that. And then uh, we did our own thing. It led to where I am today, believe it or not. It's a long story. Uh, how we got there, but that's exactly what got me to where I'm sitting today. Okay, so let's go through that that long story. Now, I don't know if we need to go the whole, full, complete details and tell every chapter, but it is a transition. It is a journey from sport karate to now doing <laughs> MMA gambling and odd setting and things of that of that nature. So, what was the sort of what were the what were the milestones along the way that led us? to that path. We're driving down the road and we see those yard markers. What are the ones that really sort of sure. stand out in that transition from one to the other? Well, we were having extreme success. Like in Ohio, we were one of the top rated uh, sport karate schools after a while. Um, going, you know, traveling outside of Ohio internationally a little bit. I was on the PKC United States karate team, started competing more in a circuit called NASCA and NBL, which was the highest of the high as far as like sport karate tournaments go having success in that those areas as well. Um, it came to the point when I was about 22 years old, 21, 22 years old, where honestly, we just weren't making a lot of money. Um, so like meaning the the gym fees and everything like that, people were paying late. It's, it's just one of those things. And we had a lot of kids, you know, children that maybe their parents weren't paying, but I didn't want to kind of, you know, make the kids suffer because of their parents. So we were just kind of a little bit softer with collective fees and stuff. So we were spending quite a bit of uh, money. So every time we'd go to a tournament, I basically would spend the profits that we're making from the karate school. My dad was like, look, you got to figure something out. I mean, you know, we can't just keep bleeding money. Right. Um, and, and then it gets to a certain point where you have so many trophies. I mean, the trophy is not even what you're competing for anymore. So I used to go to a tournament and, you know, if I won the trophy, I'd give it out to somebody, you know, to a, a little kid that did maybe win something. So it just became beyond actually, you know, competing for that title or championships or something like that. So I kind of took a step back a little bit um, and just was coaching my students again around 23 years old. Um, I officially kind of stopped competing fully 22, 23 years old. Um, meanwhile, though, my brother was um, on the sports talk radio waves, airwaves. He was a big okay. sports talk radio fan. So he would listen to some of the local talk shows. And we had a little reputation built up in Ohio. Um, 
you know, like I said, locally inside, I, I won the state total five times. Our, our team was doing so, had so much success that you know, our name was kind of floating around a little bit. So my brother was talking to a sports talk radio uh, spot and it was um, associated with sports talk Cleveland. I don't know. This is way back, like I said, in probably 2000, like around 2000. So even the internet, I mean, the internet was what? Went live at 97, 98, stuff like that. Right. So this was early stages of the internet. And uh, so my brother was talking about some fights or whatnot. The person on the radio kind of said, hey, you know what? We'd like to talk more about some fights. I know you guys have a background. So he basically took my brother off air. He was like, hey, we're, we're looking to start some programming on our website. Now they had a website again, early phases of the internet. Right. They're like, we're not going to, you know, we want to focus on like a martial arts type of show. It's not going to be on the actual radio, but it will be on our website. And it was honestly like a podcast video podcast that we were doing. Right. So they kind of threw that out. Of, Would you guys be interested? My brother approached me with that. I was like, look, man, I, my schedule at that time, that is when I started transition. I'll step back a little bit. I went to, I had my karate school going in the evening, but that I did go to barber school. My dad was a barber. So I went okay. to barber yeah, school. You have to learn the trade. Yes. Yes. Well, he was drilling me for a while. He was like, you know what? You should go, you, you know, and he, he provided for our family very well. Of we were never rich or anything like that, but he made a living, you know, a respectable living. So I got to the point where I was like, you know what? I'll try it. If I don't like it, I don't have to do it. So I went to barber school. I actually enjoyed it. I liked it. Uh, started cutting hair in the, in the daytime. So I, I was cutting hair in the morning and then teaching my classes at night. So I, I had a pretty busy schedule for, for quite some time. And then this kind of opportunity came about. And so I told my brothers, like, look, if they're not going to pay us, I said, are we going to get paid for this? And uh, he was like, right. he was like, it's going to be like, you know, maybe 15, 20 bucks. And I was like, right. I, you know, even back then I was like, man, I don't know if it's worth it, but we, we did it. You know, they're paying us like 20 bucks an episode or whatever. So we started doing it. We were shooting on Wednesdays um, in Cleveland. So I'm from Canton, Ohio. We drive about 45 minutes or so to Cleveland and shoot in a studio. And it was cool, man. I mean, it, like I said, we we're kind of ahead of the curve back then. I think there was only a few actual like other mixed martial arts shows i think share dog radio was just yeah, for coming sure. around back then mma weekly was another one that was right. around back then um and then there might have been pro yeah that's probably about it like pretty pretty early days pretty sparse landscape yes so we were like one of the maybe first three or four like podcasts out there period it was, it was cool it's called pro karate weekly so we kind of piggybacked off of mma weekly Right. Because right. they were ahead of us. Smart. And we were kind of like covering more of the karate aspect. It wasn't going to be like an MMA show, honestly. So that's why we went with Pro Karate Weekly was our show title. Uh, so for me, it was like, OK, we'll cover kickboxing. We'll cover K1 because I was a big, passionate, you know, type of striking. Like I said, the striking right. sports for, for UFC, of course. I was a fan like UFC one, all that stuff, Hoist Gracie, but I just didn't believe in the grappling aspects of things as much as everybody else, especially when you have that striking background. Right. I was one of these kind of ignorant guys thinking to myself, man, these jujitsu guys aren't going to touch right. me. They're not going to, they're not going to last. No, you know, it was, I had that kind of attitude. Uh, so it was, it was comical, but again, long story short, I'm trying to get us to where we want to be here. So we got uh, with the radio show on Wednesdays, we were doing uh, with, you know, the podcast, we got a email to the radio station and, and it was from a sports book in Costa Rica. And the sports book in Costa Rica said, Hey, we listened to your show. We'd be interested in possibly advertising. If you guys, you know, would like, we'd fly you down to Costa Rica, talk about some possibilities, all this. So we're like, wow. Okay. Uh, so the president of, of the website and I actually flew down to Costa Rica, met with these people and it was more, it wasn't really an advertising. Deal. It was more, they started picking our brain about making odds and, and UFC, right. you know, lines and stuff like that. So it was kind of right. like, you know, they, they threw something at us, but it was actually had other intentions. And when we finally got there, they wind us, dined us, took very good care of us. Um, and then I got the job offer uh, to actually stay down there and, and work and, and start creating odds. Now, of course, I was a very novice when it came to sports betting. I mean, I was doing very basic betting on my own at home, like maybe, you know, just 20 bucks on an NFL game or something right. like that, following the spreads and, you know. 
never bet MMA at that time. Um, I did bet some boxing and whatnot, you know what I mean? So just traditional, very like new and very low level betting for me, honestly. So when he was telling me all this, I was like, man, I don't even know anything about making odds. And, uh, and he was like, oh, it's all right. You know, you can learn all this stuff. And I was, so I originally turned it down. I said, you know what? This is crazy. I, I just, I had my karate school going with a lot of students, even though I wasn't competing anymore. I had a lot of students depending on me, uh, which was fun because I, you know, you get to that point where you'd like to see your students succeed and win championships and stuff like that. So it was kind of cool. Um, of course, then I had my barbershop going. I just bought a house in Ohio. Like a lot of things were already starting to set in place. And I was fairly young. I mean, 22, 23 years old, everything was kind of lining up for me. Uh, so I said no originally. I went back to Ohio, was, was working for about five or six months. And then it just kind of hit me. I was like, look, if I'm ever going to do anything different in my life, this is probably the right. opportunity. This, to this do is so. a shot. Yeah. You know, so I, I gave them a call back. I was like, look, if the offer still stands. I, I think I'd consider it. And, um, and so they're like, yeah, of course. So they put everything together for me. You know, I, I took another maybe five months, four or five months to kind of pack things up and get everything organized. And then uh, I made the transition and moved to Costa Rica. So, which by myself, didn't know anybody. Um, <laughs> it was wild. And again, that was the end of 2003, I believe, when I actually made the transition and moved to Costa Rica. Uh, yeah, so it was, it was definitely eye-opening to say the least. But that was kind of how we got the opportunity to start making odds. It became, you know, from a sport karate background to like getting potential <laughs> sponsorships. So then eventually getting flown out to Costa Rica right. and, and then kind of start from there. And that's a whole another step of the process. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot to unpack there. The The thing that's wild to me and the thing that's interesting to me that I want to talk about a little bit is that you didn't have any real background in it. There wasn't any, like you weren't a math guy. You weren't an odds guy. You weren't somebody that was, you know, like I, as I said, I grew up around the racetrack. So like odds make sense to me from the time I'm, I mean, this is going to make my parents, my parents are going to see this, but like it's going to make my parents sound terrible, but like I've been around the track since I was four. And so by the wow. time I'm yeah. 16, 17, 18, we're just wired. Like we're good. Like you want to, we're there five nights a week. Cause my brother and I both work there. My brother was an announcer, all kinds of stuff. We're dialed in. So odds make sense to me. You were somebody that Nope, no experience, no idea with it. How do you go down and just sort of start building that knowledge? What's the process of, okay, this is how we do it. Like the actual mechanics of this is how we come to these odds. Cause I think it's a thing that people nowadays as it's becoming more prevalent, as it's becoming more prominent, still don't necessarily understand. Right. No, for sure. Uh, and for me, I, I did get that little gambling itch. I mean, if, if you remember, like, I think Chris Moneymaker, I couldn't even tell you around the time, but I, I just, for some reason, it stays out. Like, he won the World Series of Poker yep. when Moneymaker won it around that time. Just the poker boom started going crazy, so I bought Doyle Brunson's book. So I started getting the gambling itch even before okay. I went to Costa Rica, and I was having poker tournaments in my house locally. You know, it was one of those things. Got a couple guys from the barbershop coming over, so we started having – so the gambling itch was kind of there. That's yep. kind of what pushed me over the edge a little bit. But you're right. I was – a newbie like your background for sure you had way more experience and an understanding of odds and because i yeah i was still very novice sadly uh, considered all that so yeah no i get to costa rica and start working for this company and by the way that everything they said they, i was supposed to get put up <laughs> they gave me a good salary right they, right. they, they gave me a good salary for for them back then i guess it, right. all considering uh they said we're going to put you up in your, your own house you'll have your maid uh, all your expenses are going to be paid. You have your own maid. You, all your expenses are going to be paid for. 
um, like for the house and all that stuff. I mean, a minus food, you know, you have to pay your food expenses or whatever. So uh, it was just, it was just a tremendous deal. I'm going to be making the salary, you know, living in my own house, having a maid. I was like, Oh my God, you know, I get there. And they didn't tell me I was going to have three of the roommates. Right. Uh, they all just, you know, it was not right. what exactly what they said at all. But uh, yeah. So we ended up kind of, you know, landing there. I started working um, after like a little rough kind of introduction period. Um, and, and it was one of those things where they didn't know, you know, much about MMA odds. So for me, I, I guess I had a le- little natural talent, especially with the sport karate background. Uh, I was pretty intelligent. Like I wasn't the most naturally gifted athlete there would be out there, but I put the work in in my brain, man. I mean, I, I could definitely dissect fighters. You know, I, I had that kind of natural instinct, I guess, about me, which was good. So I, when I went down there, they basically told me, all right, just, you know, try to develop what you would think would be a number. And I, I like I said, I was pretty clueless. I said, well, I mean, where do I start? And the, the basic example I got, and it, it still kind of holds true again today, would be like, all right, say if a fighter fought 10 times. This was, again, the beginning stages, so the very basic understanding of Oswick. They're like, right. say if two guys fight you know, 10 times, how many times would one fighter win out of those 10 times? You know, and I guess it still holds true like to, yep. today in some ways. Again, that's a very basic understanding of it. So they'd be like, if it's six times, you know what I mean, then the odds would be this. If it's, you know what I mean? So, so that's what I would start very basically saying, okay, if these guys fought, you know, how many times would this guy win? I would go, you know, obviously do some research. Now, back then, there wasn't a lot of footage, fight footage available at all uh, with the internet. So I would go on, like I said, the share dog forums, the underground forums, just try to dig up as much information on papers I can about these fighters and just try to build an understanding of, you know, who who should win this fight or whatnot. And, and that's kind of how we started doing things. And then I started slowly just kind of understanding, you know, the odds movements and, and where, you know, to put certain lines or whatnot. But it was still very rough to the point where, I mean, for, for a while, we were getting beat up. I mean, I transitioned actually out of that first original place. It didn't, like, it, there was a lot of other circumstances that came into my original spot when I landed there. Like I said, everything kind of wasn't as said. Right. So maybe about six months into it, I was, I, I left the place. Um, it was kind of on my own. Like, it, it was just, it wasn't, again, I could go in details, but I, it's kind of more private, the details sure. that went out there. I don't want to kind of go. I understand. It, yep. But there was a few people that uh, were in that office that uh, just didn't want me to be there. It was, it was weird because, I mean, I, I got along with everybody well, but it was one of those things where, you know, you got maybe a little bit of competition or you just you're an American going into Costa Rica and a lot, even the locals there sometimes, you know, you automatically go in there, even if it wasn't a great, crazy salary. And you're looking back now, it was still making, you're making like double what the locals were down there. So you didn't have a lot of fans and, you know, local offices. When you're American, you come down there, you get spoiled right. basically. They felt like, oh, right. So it was one of those things where it wasn't a smooth landing. Um, so about six months into it, I moved, I ended up landing at a bigger company, actually, just how things worked out. Um, and it was one of the best, best and biggest companies uh, in Costa Rica at that time that were offering offshore odds. So I ended up transitioning over there a little bit. And I told them my background. I was honest with them. I said, I, I'm very novice at this. Um, this is what I was flown in for. I would like to pursue it because I didn't want to go back, man. After like six months, I didn't want to go back. Right. To Ohio. I just moved my life there. You know what I'm right. like, I'm not- quit. I'm not going to give up on this. I just, you know, I took the chance. So I'm going to make it work. So luckily um, the company, you know, took me in and they gave me the opportunity. And again, I explained, I wasn't trying to be anything. I wasn't, I said, I'm very novice. This is what's going on. You know? So they gave me the shot. They, I guess they liked me that I I remember the owner saying like this, I think you're a diamond of the rough. I I like what I hear from you. You know? So they took me downstairs, introduced me to a few of the guys. They said, this is Nick Lucas. He's going to be doing our UFC and MMA lines. Um, you know, he's going to also help you guys out, like kind of show them the rope. So I, I started transitioning and working with some of the props department, uh, guys okay. in the props department. And, they, you know, started getting a feel for like NBA props, baseball props, stuff like that. So my understanding of gambling started increasing a little bit. 
Um, and then I would do on my own, I would do uh, my side work or I guess that's again, going to share dog, whatever MMA underground, just trying to do research going out. So I started developing my numbers, put them out there on the forums a little bit, started getting some bites because again, when I first got down to Costa Rica, it wasn't like there was, I was the first person ever to set a UFC line. Right. That wasn't the case, but I was the first person to kind of take the UFC, honestly, and again, not bragging, but to the next level, meaning that I expanded right. the whole card up. I would put the actual, like, you know, there might be a fight or two up. Right. You uh, might get one or two, the main event, maybe the, the main card of a pay-per-view, but it wasn't yeah. every fight, every single person. Here we go. And Correct. some props. Yes. And on top of it, when they were putting up, even before I got there, when they were putting up the minimum, like you said, the main event, whatever the case, they were getting crushed. So they were like, they didn't want to offer it at all. They were like, you know, this is not our thing. We don't have to offer this stuff. So with this company kind of took a chance, they were trying to build up the original company to hire me. They, they had a good focus and a vision because they wanted to build up their boxing and they wanted to bring mixed martial arts because they thought maybe it would take off one day. They weren't sure. It, this was even before the ultimate fighter. So it takes you back to like, you know, the ultimate right. fighters, what really helped everything go boom, of course. So it was before that. So it wasn't even like, I mean, it, it was far, far from mainstream, put it that way. I mean, you know, yeah. you've been in, in you know the trenches for how long it's taken for, for us to get to the point where we are. So we're, we're it, dating it was, ourselves, but it's, it's needed. It, it yes, lets yes. everybody know that this isn't a, like, Nick just showed up all of a sudden. Yes. Nope, he's no, he, no, he's been here. Yeah. Trust me. Yeah. He's been here. Yeah. Had to go through it for sure. So with, <laughs> With all that said, they, you know, we started putting odds. I, dude, I started getting crushed, like meaning because there was betters out there. Here's the thing. We didn't understand how big limits we should take, right. you know, so we were taking like NBA limits. So we were taking like two dimes on my openers that were weak, very, very right. weak openers because, you know, again, I was trying to figure things out. Right. And we had my old place, actually, the place that originally brought me in, started betting into us started betting it to the new place that I was working on. Of course, they had a big, big, I mean, they owned a sports book, so they had a bankroll right. to do so. Uh so they were taking shots. They were trying to get me fired, honestly, in my new spot. So right away when I'd open up a line, they would hit it. And uh, I would freak out a little bit because there was so much money coming in, you know. So and then, again, the company that I'm working for now, the new place, is seeing all the stuff going on. And, of course, they, they're going to respect another sportsbook owner, but more than me because I'm the new guy, whatever. You know, this guy's for firing. Sure. He's having people call in and be like, okay, what's the line on this fight? And uh, the people, you know, the clerks, because you'd have back then you'd have a call center too. So a lot of people, now it's a lot of stuff is online or apps right. or whatever the case may be. But back then it was like, a, you know, there would be like a hundred people working, picking up phones, taking bets from, you know, for from a lot of people stateside or, or internationally. So these guys would call in and tie up some of the VIP clerks, the more important clerks that would handle some of the higher business. And these guys were so important that they would, you know, fit those, even the sharp guys, you would have the VIP clerks handle because the sharp guys would know little tricks to, to kind of delay you, stall you a little bit. Maybe the line's moving, maybe the game started, all sorts of little gimmicks yeah. and tricks these guys would use. Always, always. You yeah. are any, any kind of gambling, any enterprise where there can be sharps that can bend things just even that little little bit you're gonna find it i mean yeah you can find I, used, that, exactly. I used to love just standing and watching guys that i knew at the track that would just stand right by the window and right as they're going into the post or right as they're going behind the behind the gate for their for standard breads last minute bet. and they would just it would be with the same with the same ticket clerk that person was not necessarily on the payroll but she got tipped out well at the end of the night if it was a good yeah. night or if we cashed a good ticket and it was just any any edge any gambler can get, they're going to look for. A hundred percent. I mean, still true to this day, still, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep. 
So these guys were called up, you know, the, they were tied up the VIP clerks, hammering the lines. And then on the phone, they would say, okay, what's the new price on that fight? So say they would come in and hammer a line at minus 120. Right. You would move it strong to like minus 150, minus 160. They were like, what's the new price? Like minus 150. Oh man, that line's terrible. Give me another 2000 on that. <laughs> right. So then they would put another 2000. My line would go from like minus 120 to minus like 300, like right away. Like within the first, and we would have like 10, 15, thousand dollars on this side and i was like oh my goodness this is not good like and then you know at the beginning i was getting beat too that's the thing they were just coming in it wasn't like they knew fighting well they were just the numbers people there and they were just picking right. their spots they had a bankroll and they right. were just picking their spots and again they were just winning i mean sometimes i it's crazy to say but you can go on a blind hot streak you know not knowing much about anything just get hot and you can rattle off so not that they were doing that they were definitely sharper than that but i'm just saying like as far as for they, sure they were hot and they were bringing it and they were crushing me to the point where <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to get fired, dude. I'm, I'm not going to have a job. They're going to crush me. They're, I mean, the thing is, one of the bosses, they, they weren't getting on me. I didn't get that phone call saying, hey, what are you doing, man? What are we getting crushed for? Anything like that. So I, I was kind of surprised. I remember I was talking to my brother. My brother also, um, again, long time, he was doing Pro Karate Weekly with me. And, and he was the one at the beginning I would bounce some odds off of, you know, talking fights and stuff. And I was like, man, dude, we're getting crushed. They're going to fire me. I'm, I'm not going to have a job soon. And he was like, just keep grinding it out, man. Just just stick it in, you know, stay in there. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to. I'm trying. I got no choice. I mean, I want to make this work or whatnot. So um, it got to the point where, like I said, we were getting crushed a little bit. But the good thing, the upside was there was people actually signing up and depositing at these sports books because I would go out to share it all. I would go out to underground, say, hey, odds are up. So right. they were getting post-up customers kind of coming in, you know, signing in, signing up to these places. So it was kind of like, okay, wait, we're getting some business for these guys, you know what I mean? For, for whatever this guy's doing, business start coming in and people are, you know, and then once they get in the door, to be honest with you, the good thing is, and again, that's why the other place was kind of wanting to add MMA too. Once you get a new niche kind of sport or whatever the case may be into the door, those players have money in your account. They're going to bet football. You're going to bet baseball, whatever right. else you're going to have. You right. just want them in the door. So even if they're crushing you on UFC or MMA, they're probably going to lose it back on <laughs> football or anything. Right. So Absolutely. I was, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say it's, it's again, once you get that, it's that gambler thing, right? Like once you get that, all right, well, I've got this. Let me see what I can do over here. And I'm going to watch this game. And it's Sunday. There's these football. And I like this. It's just the thing. Once yes. they're in, uh, what, it's yeah. just about getting people in the door. And I didn't know. Again, I didn't kind of know people were like, you know, as much. <laughs> I was like, again, naive with it. And so, they, so that's why they weren't hounding me a little bit. They were like, hey, this kid's bringing in some money. These guys will lose it back over here, whatever the case is. So they got, I kind of like weathered a storm for a while. And then. So by the end of year one, we were not profitable. We, we got crushed, but we brought in some business. So it was okay. Year two, we tightened up that gap a little bit to the point where those people that were beating me started losing. They started losing a little bit back, you know what I mean? All that stuff. And then they gave up. Honestly, they were like, okay, I guess they're going to not fire this kid. You know what I mean? Whatever. So right. they, they just kind of gave up on it a little bit. And then we started getting, I got sharper with my lines, uh, everything, you know, so we went from getting crushed the first year to the second year, close to breaking even, but we were still building the business. A little bit and then by year three we we're profitable so we we're making money on ufc uh, i expanded the markets along the way too i was even putting odds on because i wanted to get mma betting period like even beyond the ufc out there as much as possible so i even started putting odds on cage warriors which of course is on ufc fight pass even to this day people don't realize what kind of an og organization even cage warriors is because i was putting odds back in like 2004 2005 uh, other shows with you know you'd have guys like michael bisping Bigfoot Silva, like all, all these kind of, you know, names that eventually made it over to the UFC. So I, I talked to uh, one of the matchmakers over there and 
and I started putting odds on their events and then started whatever like smaller organization I could. So outside of the UFC, I started putting odds on some of these like, you know, worthy kind of smaller promotions and trying to get some deals set up in place too. like, hey, just send people to bet with us. You know, we'll put lives out here. This right. is the company I'm working for. So it's kind of one of those things where I was kind of marketing and trying to get, you know, more attention into all this stuff. So yeah, by year three, things started definitely going a little bit better. We started profiting. We started, you know, so I kind of weathered that early storm. It, it came, I'll tell you what, let me say this too. It came to the point in year one where one of the bosses, not the gentleman that, that hired me, but one of the guys that was running like the main floor of the wagering room, he got so frustrated one day. He stood up in the middle of like, a, like rush hour and basically was like, when we were getting hit by the UFC and he said, why the F are we even offering this, this garbage? This is like WWE back then. It was WWF, I think, but it was right. like WWE wrestling's fixed. It's, it's crap. We shouldn't be offering this stuff. And I was like, Oh my God. I mean, I didn't have much support at all, man. I right. mean, like as far as like, you know, the UFC and all that. And then thankfully with the, with me kind of steering the ship correctly and starting to, to do things right. And then the ultimate fighter came. And obviously, Stephen Bonner, Forrest Griffin, rest in peace, Stephen Bonner. Um, you know, that battle just took the UFC. It really did to another level. So then, you know, Betty gets her started getting up a little bit. And I, I, I was the first person ever sent UFC to Don Best. I don't know. People out there are probably not familiar with the Don Best screen. But it's, it's basically like a sports book aggregate with all the top sports books in the world, with all the top like events offered, whether it's NFL, you know, like I said, NBA, soccer, whatever the case may be. So all the top sports in the world get put on this betting screen with all the sports books listed. And it, it's a tool for a lot of sports books, um, operators and, and traders out there that they use on a daily basis. Well, back then, UFC wasn't even on, on the board. Right. So I remember, again, I, I was with kind of a powerful company at that time where when uh, we were doing well and I said, like, you know what? I talked to the boss. And I was like, would it be okay if I called Don Best and had him put UFC on the screen? He was like, Hey, give it a shot. Won't hurt. Like try. So I called him up, said, Hey, can we put UFC on the Don Best screen? You know, I would love to ha have it up. And they did it. And I remember I was taking snapshots, like pictures or whatever the case is of the Don Best screen. Just say, Oh, we got UFC on Don Best. And now it's like, psh, like not, now, it's everywhere. Yeah, yeah, it's, now, you know, now it's everywhere. Yeah. Now it's everywhere. So yeah, that's sorry. I'm so long winded about this. No but worries. This is just this kind is, of giving you some background. With this is what, this is what, this is what the show is for. This is what I love. This is what people enjoy about it. We get to actually be expansive about things as opposed to here's the very short answer or here's the sound bite. That's why I created this. Mostly it's just for me to talk to people that I want to talk to. So <laughs> we're, we're good. We're good. You mentioned in there, obviously you get better at your craft. You get a little more dialed in. What helps you get there? What helps you? Is it just reps? Is it just information and learning? Is there somebody that says, Hey, this is, these are things you should look at and, and consider, or is it really just, we start getting just fine tuning really? Yeah. It's a little bit of everything I think. Um, but mostly fine tuning you get, see, once you start having some, I guess, background or once you start, you know, making some progress and then having information you can fall back on a little bit. So in certain situations, I would look and I said, okay, this was a similar fight. I opened the line this way. They came in this way. You know, I just started using the data that I had previously and just kind of molded, like, you know, you learn from your mistakes, if that makes sense. So I did that in a very basic, you know, in a, I guess a very basic way. And also you'd have, I'd keep track of the opening and closing numbers, all that stuff too. So it became a little bit easier because again, 
where I'd have some data to back it up. Like this guy got bet last time. So they're probably going to bet him again on this matchup. So it was just very like subtle things like that, that would help me tighten stuff up. And then of course, when YouTube and everything else, like fight footage started to come around, then you start digging into film. And then that's when everything really sharpened up. Because I think, I mean, even to this day, I know there's a ton of analytics, which I respect tremendously, but still film study and actually watching these guys fight is where I think you get the real edge more than anything else. So it started, you know, fine-tuning my game because I started watching a little bit more film when I could. I would dig, you know, watching, obviously watching the events more so and more, you know, with a fine-tooth comb and just kind of going back. I, I would re-watch the events so many times. So a UFC card would go on and I would watch it again that night. So after the whole card was over, I'd legitly watch it again that night and then I'd maybe watch it again a couple of days later too. So I had these fights like memorized in my head. Right. So like, yeah, I was kind of insane about it. Uh, but I loved it. You know, I, I was enjoying it for sure. And, I, and again, it was one of those things that I didn't want to, not make this thing work. So right. I just kept on digging and, and trying to get better. And eventually things steadied out. And I wasn't, I mean, there's, I still make mistakes. I mean, you know, there's, there's, yeah, there's it not happens. a perfect, it happens. Or perfect day or anything like that. But uh, yeah, but definitely a different spot where we are now with so much more information. And spreadsheet, options. spreadsheet guy, database guy, old school notebook guy. Uh, a little bit of everything. I, again, guy. Like most... what are we, what are we using to keep track of everything? Yeah. I mean, some Excel sheets, some spreadsheets, but again, I'm not, um, a big time spreadsheet guy, big, you know what I mean? I, like, so very basic stuff. Yeah. I mean, pen and pencil type of guy, old fashioned, more, you know, notebooks type of guy, but you have to kind of modify and develop as we go for sure. So like what I, the way I used to make odds back in the day to how I do it now, I mean, there's a lot more data I look at now. Uh, there's a lot more analytics that come into play too. So even though I'm more of a traditional, like, you know, pen to paper type of guy watching footage, I'm still, you know, like I said, there's some spreadsheets, there's some Excel's going on. There's also some data and analytics I use to kind of form my numbers as well. So yeah, it's changed a little bit uh, since that for sure. So what prompts the advent and the launch of MMA odds breaker? Uh, well, we were in Costa Rica and uh, a friend of mine was like, he, he knew that, you know, I was originally a lot of lines out there and he's like, man, you're not getting any credit for some of these, you know, the lines. <laughs> it, it, there was people that were going on shows and, you know, a lot of people were taking credit for opening odds and all that stuff. And I was kind of in the background and, uh, and, you know, I kind of wanted to get the recognition and respect a little bit for, for making those odds. So I, I started doing some show appearances here and there. And then one thing we did, we just decided to, to launch MMA Oddsbreaker to kind of make it like a blog that shows the odds and stuff like that. So it was a concept one of my friends kind of thought of, too. And I was like, yeah, I like the idea. So we launched MMA Oddsbreaker. We started um, actually f- focusing on a show, the uh, MMA Oddsbreaker show. The original show was actually with one of the original shows we did that was actually pretty popular and fun for a while was I was – breaking a, a line and again some of the videos are still out there on youtube but i was actually originating a line with two reporters to, so like i would have um for example uh david martin and brett okamoto on on the shows or whatnot right with with me so i'd have two reporters on the show i would have my original odds i, I would tell them what the odds were okay i'm opening this fight like a championship fight anderson Silva, whatever the case may be at this price uh and then we give them like um a bankroll five hundred dollars, right? right? Just kind of a fantasy bankroll, whatever. Who who would your bet be on? And they they would say, "Oh man, at that price, I would bet this guy." So what we would do was actually, if they both lined up on the same side, I would move that number before it hit the sports book. So it was an original opening number that was live, that was real. But if they both took the side, I would give them respect and say, "Okay, you guys are both on this side." That I was going to open at minus one seventy. Now I'm going to open at minus one eighty, right. and then it would show up on the actual sports books at minus one eighty. That was the real opening price. And then the market would take off from there, whichever way, you know. So that was kind of the concept. Just trying to get 
credit recognition for some of my work out there and then kind of putting into content form and, and then sports, which were using that content a little bit too, as well. And, you know, trying to like, you know, throw some sponsorships out there. So it was cool. It was just a way to kind of get the community and everybody learning about MMA, you know, odds and understanding them a little bit and then just kind of making content again it was kind of we were kind of a, even back then a little bit i guess ahead of the curve yeah uh, but again things have changed quite a bit since that tons of podcasts early on early on getting mma lines out there it's still up go and check out mmaoddsbreaker.com still a great <laughs> yeah, website we're gonna probably have a relaunch here soon because the last few years especially i've been focusing more on the vegas side of things so i haven't right. focused as much on the site so i'm a little guilty on that end but i've talked to some of the guys and we got some things in the background so mma Oddsbreaker hopefully be a little rejuvenated uh here soon as well when i was gonna say you mentioned focused on the vegas side of things obviously you're doing the ufc on the line you're doing gamblers perspective you also still have a job as an odds maker for i believe it's circus sports correct I actually left Circa a couple months ago. I just okay. recently, yeah. So, I, but I'm still making. Hopefully, that's not acrimonious, and I'm not touching any nerves. No, no, it's 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 a good company to work for. But honestly, man, I mean, here's one thing that people <laughs> probably overshoot. They they all think we're making a ton of money out here, <laughs> making odds and all that stuff. Wait, wait, wait! You're not swimming in it. <laughs> no, sir. Unfortunately, not swimming. In it. <laughs> it's it's one of those things where, again, the sports here goes book, my whole plan. <laughs> the traders everybody on this side of things like the industry is underpaid so it's not circa i'm not trying to like circa yeah, is a yeah, great no company for sure for. it's just it's one of those things where and, and honestly working as a consulting and betting like but so from my costa rica days shifting back to ohio before i came here whatnot then i kind of went and I, I was betting myself for a few years and, and consulting and, and doing different things. I was making more income. And then I, I, I did want to land in Vegas. Eventually. I knew one day from Costa Rica, I would end up in Vegas. I mean, that was kind of a goal of mine for sure. And then when I finally landed here, the landscape was a little different. The COVID hit too. Like right. I actually officially landed in Vegas right before COVID um, a few months. And then COVID hit the change, you know, everything locked down. I was like, Oh, look at the time here. I lost, uh, you know, a little bit of consulting income that I was coming into. It just changed things significantly for a minute. And uh, so I wanted to land, obviously, and, you know, hook up with the sports books here. And I ended up landing at Circus Sports, which is one of the most respected and popular sports books. I mean, it's a, an amazing place to bet. If you're not, if you're a pro better or even a novice better, if you're not betting a circuit and you can, you're crazy. You definitely should have an account there. So it's one of those things where, uh, you know, I decided to, to hop on and work with them. But again, the pay scale, I kind of took a pay cut, if that makes sense. Yep. But I wanted to get my feet wet here in Vegas. And I was hoping that, you know, eventually things would get better and, and, and change. So I, I did, you know, little by little, you get a little bit more pay, pay raises or whatnot, but going from like living in Costa Rica or living to Ohio, living to Vegas and supporting a family. I have five, my wife and three kids. So supporting a family of five on this income is pretty tough, to be honest with you. It, it wasn't easy. So I just couldn't stay there because the pay was, was just wasn't working out. Honestly, I needed to, you know, I felt like I was underpaid. A lot of people do as well. So we were doing very well. Um, it just, I just had to get out of there so I could, you know, better my life, if that makes sense, and kind of get to where I want to be. So that's why. And again, it's not nothing against Circa. Yeah, I, I think, makes you know, sense. especially against, according to the industry in Vegas, I mean, it's, they're fairly, you know, priced or whatnot. But, and I have a lot of friends that work there. I have still have a good relationship with them. It was just one of those things that if I'm ever going to do, again, the next phase of my life and get better, I just had to kind of rip off the bandaid and, and try something else. And I, I'm not regretting it at all, to be honest with you. I'm already, you know, picking up some consulting gigs. I've, I've managed it and built a lot of great relationships through the years. So I have some betting partnerships in place right now too. It's, it's, it's going well. So I'm kind of glad I kind of took the risk and kind of bet on myself at this point. Uh, but yeah, that's where I landed in Vegas. I've been here for about what, four years or so now. Um, close to it. Yeah. About 
yeah, around that spot. So again, a lot has changed. But again, one of the initial pushes for me to be here in Las Vegas, like you mentioned, was UFC on the line as well, though. That was that's my passion. It took me so long to knock on that door and get through, man. Oh my goodness. Obviously, you know, like it's it's been that long. And finally, like four years ago, I got the opportunity from the UFC. I had to go through tryouts and all that. And I ended up getting the spot on UFC on the line, which again, that's kind of one of the highlights of my careers. I love that show so much. Uh, you know, work in progress to get there, but finally got there. So yeah, that's where we, I kind of, I guess where we are right now. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Cause obviously I know from my experience working for the company and knowing a ton of people that do as well, people see shows show up on, on fight pass or on platforms. And they're like, Oh, this was, they just decided we're going to grab this person and this person stick this host with them. They had this idea and away we go. And it all came together in a matter of hours, if maybe days, if maybe at most a couple of weeks, it's not how it works ever like even remotely how long was the process of pitching the ufc hey you guys need to do a, a gambling show i need to be on it here's <laughs> here's the layout here's the idea here's the concept from pitch to premiere episode what are we talking well I, they actually uh so i didn't pitch the ufc the ufc on the line they they actually you know they had that idea themselves with the game. look the ufc as you know like they're ahead of the curve on a lot of stuff so they're very smart uh, a good company to work for and they just have that vision so they they end up wanting to launch a gambling show and it was yanni the greek he was their first hire for the gambling show and he's still on with me as well um so yanni the greek was their first hire but then they actually we're having fighters on like they had Michael Bisping on yep. for a while, uh, Tyron Woodley. So the funny thing is the background to UFC online, um, Yanni actually got a hold of me before probably maybe eight months before the show launched. Right. And I didn't know Yanni at the time. He was just a, like a Twitter person. He's Greek, right. of course. Uh, you know, I'm Greek. Uh, so it was just one of those things. We followed each other, you know, from before I knew he was in gambling, whatever. Right. So I respected what he was doing. Um, he, he DM me and, and, uh, and I don't know, you know, and he's like, hey, I'd like to talk to you. Can we set up a call? So I was like, sure. I was like, cool. So he called. We talked a little bit. He told me about the UFC on the line show, what the UFC was doing. I was thinking immediately. I was I was happy. I was like, oh, my God, they're going to finally, man. This is kind of what I'm looking for, you know, all these years. I was like, I right. got a shot to possibly be on the UFC on the line. But it wasn't that. It was like, hey, there's not enough odds out there. Like, it, it was a conversation like this. So, so first I was, I was thinking to myself, okay, I'm going to be involved in the show. This is right. so cool. Uh, and he was like, there's not a lot of odds out there. Like, uh <laughs> He was like, like, we're looking to do shows and we need future odds for these cards. Is there any way you could help us out? And I was like, oh, oh, okay. Um, you know, because obviously, you know, when I was making, you know, if they're doing cards, all that stuff with props and all. And I was like, yeah, sure. But I, I was, was at the point, though, again, I, you got to understand, I was doing this thing. I mean, it's been over 20 years right. since I've been at this. So what, what they're telling me, I was like, okay. And selfishly, I was like, kind of like, what's in it for me? Like, you know what I mean? What am I, I mean, this? listen, this is you. And I fully understand the like automatic selfishly. And, and we all want to sort of put it aside of like, I have to acknowledge it. This is, this is business. This is life. This is earning. This is opportunity. You're doing a ton of work. There's gotta be something in it for you. It's one yes. of the things I learned very early on and have had drilled into me by mentors and, and guides along this way. Make sure you're getting something out of this. Don't work for free. Don't just give away your ideas. So I understand the the instinct. It's not needed. You're allowed to look after yourself. Yeah. You and anybody listening that's that's sitting here being like, oh, but I have to do no, take care of yourself as well. Look out for yourself, not in a negative way, not in a like over way, 
but make sure you're getting something out of it. Please continue. A hundred percent. You're absolutely right. That is so true. So yeah, it was just one of those things. And I want to be, I didn't want to be an ass or anything, but I was like, you know, excuse my language, uh, but you're allowed. To I was swear. Like, it's fine. We're just on YouTube. <laughs> So it was just one of those things where, you know, I was like, okay, well, what kind of what's it for me? And he was like, yeah, he was honest, money. He was like, I'm not sure. He was like, I, you know, maybe we could, you know, find something. He was like, but this is kind of where we're at. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to respectfully probably pass, you know, on, on that. Because again, it, I mean, if I was going to be like in the show or whatever, that would have been different. It would have been, you know, a different situation. But it was kind of one of those things where I was going to be the outsider looking in kind of. And uh, I was like, e, I, you know, no. It, it was tough. It was tough to pass too, but I was like, you know what? I'll probably pass. And then I didn't hear anything for like six months, eight months. And then they launched the show. They launched UFC on the line. And, uh, and again, I forget who the first, it was Yanni and somebody else. Um, like I said, it was one of the fighters. I don't know if it was Bisping, but they launched, you know, and I was watching and I was a fan. And you know what? I was respectfully jealous. I got to be honest with you for sure. Because I was thinking to myself, man, I've been, you know, busting my butt. I'm right. Like, I was I'd like to be in that chair. Yeah, I yep. thought to myself, there's nobody more deserving. Again, I don't want to be egotistical, but I thought there's nobody on a planet that's more deserving to be in that spot than myself, right? And these guys don't even know. They don't even kind of like, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, it's frustrating. But I watch the shows, you know, like I said, like respectfully jealous a little bit. But I, I, one thing I thought I told myself was like, look, even if they're not involved, at least they're doing something good for gambling. They're right. bringing gambling to the forefront. So I started supporting it, man. I was like, you know what? I could be jealous all at once. It's not going to get me anywhere anyway, whatever. So at least they're doing some good things. So I started like retweeting them, supporting them. I was like, you know what? Good, good, you know, that they're doing this. And and unfortunately though, some, it didn't start off so good. Like meaning that uh, Yanni was doing pretty good. You know, he had, he definitely is legit. So anybody could love him or hate him with his back or whatever you would say, but the man is legit. He knows gambling. Right. He's a sharp. He knows what he's doing. Right. But even from day one, I could tell that. I mean, you know, he, he definitely knows the stuff, but again, some of the fighters sometimes, again, not knocking him. But like Bisping and Wood, it's just a different thing. They they understand fighting. They're great fighters, but betting is a different animal. So I think on that end, some of the fighters weren't kind of, you know, they were doing some crazy part. It just wasn't working out. It did, like, right. you know, they weren't really having much success. So it's hard I, to have someone on a show like that. And I say this from experience as someone who does a show every week and constantly comes on and is like, so we lost money last week, which is part of why I have you here. We're going to talk about some of this stuff and, and better ways to. <laughs> to bet and spend money around, but it's hard to have somebody on every week. That's the advice or their plays are just constantly not cashing. People look to these things for insights, for advice, for direction. And if people are just giving out bad plays, bad advice, it's hard to constantly bring them back. Yes. A hundred percent. And, and that's, you know, no matter how much you love them or whatever, but it, it is, it's very true. So these guys were just kind of bombing on that end a little bit. Yanni was doing very well. Um, and it got to the point where I noticed all this stuff. Like, I, I was like, oh man, the UFC, like, they, it can't keep happening, can it? Like, what's like, what's going on? So, I, again, this is going to, not a lot of people know this too. This is going to sound really cocky, but one night I was watching the shows and I, I was watching everything kind of play out and the UFC card hit. And, I, and I, I went up after the UFC card and my wife was in bed <laughs> and I woke her up. I said, the UFC is going to be knocking on my door soon. And she was like, what? What are you talking about? And I said, listen, they need to break some. And again, I know this sounds crazy, but this is true. A lot again, I, I probably wouldn't say I've been saying this here, but I'd probably keep this to myself more so. But I said, they need to bring some credibility to that show. And I, I said, I don't think there's anybody better to do with it myself. So I said, I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if, if I get like hit up soon because it's not going very well, like on that end of it. So I mean, I'm, you know, and I'm supporting it too. And I, and I, I reached out, there was a couple of UFC producers following me at the time. 
and I reached out and I was like, hey, look, dude, just because there was a lot of hate. That was the problem. There was a lot of haters right. out there giving them hate, saying, you guys suck. What are you guys doing? You know, you know all the hate. So anytime they would lose, the trolls would come out full force right. and just bash them. And we, like see it with, community. we see it with Contender Series every every week, oh. every year. Exactly. It's the only thing people want to. Nobody says anything when Yanni goes on a run no. of success. But the minute he doesn't cash, it's look at this. Again. Yes. And, and in fact, that contender series run they had last year was just horrific. He will admit that as well. Yeah. But if you documented wise, he's won every year on those shows that we do. Like he's great, but he had, so people don't realize that. So he goes on a contender series run and looks bad and it's public. But right. if you look back at his total, you know, so it was one of those spots. And again, the fighters were kind of struggling like that a little bit. So I told my wife, she's like, okay, she thought I was crazy. For that. But so again, I, I had a little bit of back and forth with other producers. And then one of them hit me up and he was like, Hey, would your, one of your guys be interested in possibly, you know, uh, doing something with our show. And I was like, absolutely. I was like, you know, so they did, they reached out and you know what I mean? I was like, okay, nice. So I, I got the DM and then we started the progress and it was like, um, okay, we're going to have a, one of the producers call you. And one of the uh, producers called me and she was great, but she, she didn't know my background very much at all. So that's the thing. Like, I mean, these, like who, who is Nick click? It's like, they don't know, they didn't know who, you know what I mean? What, who is this? Right. Guy? So I get the phone call and, uh, and the process kind of starts with it. And, and she's telling, like, you know, telling me, like, we're, we're going to, we'll get your quick background here. Then we're going to put you on a conference call with a group of people, too, as well. And we'll take it from there. So I, I guess the process was, so we had the initial phone call. And then they were they were testing out and they were trying out other people as well. So they had different calls lined up and all that. So um, I did take one of the phone calls. I got on with them. And I was a little cocky because I here's the thing. I, I needed to for them to understand who I was. And, right. and, and honestly, nobody, like, if I don't say it, who's going to say it? Like, you know what I mean? So it was like, look. Cause they were telling me, they were like, Oh, we have this odds maker. Um, you know, he works for, he's a great guy. And he is, I, I know him very well. Jason symbol. Like he, he works at Red Rock now. Very good. But again, those, those odds makers, a lot of times are, they are what they are and they're very high level. But as far as originating MMA lines, a lot of them would wait and they would copy off of the stuff that I would do. So for years, all these guys, even in Vegas were just copying my lines. So they weren't originated, but UFC didn't know that. Right. Like, they, you know, so they're telling me about these odds makers that were using my lines. You know what I mean? I'm thinking to myself, okay, like right. it was just one of those things. So I had to get myself out there a little bit, you know? And I was like, yeah, no, that's great. But I was like, yeah, they use my lines. And she's like, what? Like, you know, so I tried to explain, I was like, you know, but I came out very, like I said, egotistical, very, I was like, oh my God, this is probably not a good thing. Like, you know, but the way I came out, but I just wanted them to understand and know. So, you know, the phone call I was like, okay. I ended up having another like conversation, a follow-up conversation after that. So then I went back and I, I explained why I was so kind of, cocky in the first you know i was like i just wanted you guys to know exactly my background and where we stand so they dug around a little bit they understood it was true and i ended up uh, making it i guess from based on my phone calls i ended up making it to the like the final cuts if you would say for um for the actual ufc on the line show so they flew me out for an audition to be on camera um and it was between me and another gentleman um that that's it's kind of unknown to the mma community but a really good guy and it was his own right now. What I found out later was this guy is a professional better to the max. I mean, he's really good. Like as far as like pro better across, maybe not just focus on UFC, but he was another like Yanni pro better and other stuff. And he was really right. good. So it was between me and this gentleman. Um, they brought us into audition. And I, at that time we were kind of told like, it'd probably be a rotation of us three. Cause I, we made it that far, me and the other gentleman. So it was going to be like, okay, well, I was like, Oh, cool. I made it. This was so right. cool. During the auditions, right before I get on to do my, my audition, Yanni was like, good luck, bro. I hope you get it. And I was like, oh, we're good, dude. They told us basically that, you know, all three of us are kind of, you know, rotating in here. And, and he was like, no, it's just, it's between you and that guy. And I was like, they're only going to pick one of us? And he was like, yeah. He's like, it's just one spot. And I was like, 
right before I got on air, like right before I went on and did the, and I was like, holy cow. So I thought I was good, maybe to this point, good. No, no, I have to go out there and try out. So, I mean, to, the audition matters. I knew the audition was going to matter, but not to that extent. Like right. this, is, this is make or break, man. Yeah, so you're like, thinking oh, as God. long as I don't flub this, I'll get every couple of weeks, I'll be here. And yes. now he's telling you, we need a home run here or else that dude's going to get it. Yes, 100%. And again, I mean, like visually, like, you know, like, like I mean, I'm 46 years old now. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm putting on weight off and on. So visually, I might not be the most attractive person on camera, especially considering the other person I would say had me on that. Like, you know what I mean? A physical appearances or whatnot. They, they, just being honest. Again, transparent 100%. So I was like, man, you guys better look into me. I'm up against it here a little bit too. So if he's smooth, I'm probably done. Right. Because, hey, let's, let's face it. Looks aren't everything because, and especially these days, I mean, content is king and somebody that's sharp. It doesn't matter what you look like, right? But if the play feels a little even, the, the better looking person is probably going to win out more times than not. I think that's very accurate, you know, just in life in general. Right. So it's one of those things. Uh, so I was like, man, so I went on there and my audition was like, hey, so, so I, I, I started off kind of rough, but I picked it up and I was like, heck with it. And, and I ended up pretty smooth and I was good. The other gentleman auditioned. Yeah. It was kind of a similar audition. Um, and, and so I wasn't sure like what was going to happen. And, and like when everything settled, they liked us both. We were kind of polar opposite sort of and and they just decided to kind of to go with me i was thankful for that obviously and uh, and i got the spot in there then i think they were impressed because the very first show that i did you know it was one of those things and and again i'm not great on camera i've never claimed that i was anything like always nervous always i don't know uncomfortable sort of on camera and all that stuff so i i wasn't like i was kind of made for that position or whatever but here's the the weirdest thing and again just being totally transparent just in given my thought process when I finally made it to shoot the first show, the official first show, I was in the mode in my in my mind thinking, I deserve this. There's nobody that deserves this more than I, and that's my spot. That's my chair on that stage. I really like fully was like, that's my spot. So I went in there for some reason, and I didn't, I could, I didn't understand it myself. I went in there with such a calm on that first show that we actually did. I nailed it, man. I had a great show. Uh, my picks were accurate. I was way better than they anticipated on camera. Like, I'm not saying I was good. Look, I'm just saying way better than So right. I have a lot of work to do. But I cleared the low bar. Thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, but even though some of the cameramen came up to me, they're like, dude, that was your first time doing this. I said, yeah, I was like, that was fantastic. That was amazing. Like, it was really good. So I had a very good start. My picks went well. And then it was one of those things where, you know what? I, it came, I didn't have my contract signed yet either. So it came down to that. Like, they could have, if that first show didn't go well, who knows, man? Because they still like, I thought I had, right. you know, nothing was solidified. Could, could have been a handshake. It's been great. We'll call you when we, when we need you again. And then the phone yes. never rings. Yes. Yeah. So that first show kind of solidified things. They're like, okay, we'll bring this guy. Back. You know? So then I did get the contract. They signed me to a four-year contract, um, which was, I was ecstatic. I was like, yes, thank God. You know, it, it, you never safe though. It doesn't matter. Even with a nope. four-year contract, whatever, they could just say, see you, whatever. But at least I knew that they, you know, they thought highly enough of me to, to kind of give me a shot in there. And then of course, Yanni and I, thank God. Um, we ended up, you know, blending in well together. I mean, he's one of my closest friends now, and we just continue to get closer and closer. Again, we kind of like we we do our own thing, so that's the, the thing. I mean, we don't know. I don't know what he's betting. He doesn't know what I bet. Like that's all natural right. and it's all true. Like right. we do do our own things. You know, we talk or whatnot, but it's not like you know we're not piggybacking off each other's bets or anything like that. It's totally separate. But the success of the show has like worked out a little bit because I since then it's it, like honestly UFC on the line is a very good product for the UFC it's, it's getting eyeballs from what I've told it's going very well 
Um, and we've been managing to grind out some profits for those, you know, for the betters out there, which has been fantastic because especially in a show situation, people don't understand what you're put into. I mean, the odds are shifting. We film on certain days. So sometimes you're live, right? Most of the time these days we're doing it live, which is pretty cool. I love doing live shows. Um, but I mean, obviously you got to be careful because you don't get a, you know, retake or anything like that. It's, it's right. live. It is, it is, it comes out. But at that time, the lines, you know, will be a certain way the lines tend to shift. Sometimes we, we do pre-tape like on the following pay-per-view. So maybe we'll tape on a Thursday um, and, the, and the show airs on Monday. And then, so between that weekend, the lines are moving and stuff or prop, more props and more options come on. Right. So we're very limited with what we can kind of do sometimes as far as the show and what like the lines would get out. Cause I might be waiting on a better line. So the show is basically what I'm saying is a different beast. You have to kind of approach the show a little bit different, but the information that we're giving out there is, genuine it's good it's real and it's worked out so i think that's why you're seeing the kind of show continue to kind of grow and build success as well so it's been awesome and again that for me making it to the to ufc on the line and then branching off from then and getting the gambler's perspective on ufc fight pass has been just like i said a dream come true man a long time coming yeah i was gonna say this feels like one of the questions that i get to ask athletes all the time of like once they're finally there and they've had that first win or anything like that what's it feel like to finally be at this point like I know for myself, getting to do some of the things I've gotten to do, being able to interview some of the people I've been able to interview, tell some of the stories I've been able to tell, I look back at, you know, 14, 15 years ago when I started and go, man, this is crazy. And my wife reminds me of like the first couple interviews I did that she was in the room for where I'm like nervous and stuttering and jitty and get off, jittery and get off the phone and I'm all like amped up because, oh my God, yeah. I just talked to, and now I literally just pull out my phone and send a text and like, Hey, let's connect. And, and it's nothing, but I never take it for granted. What's it like for you to now be at this point, as you said, where it's you're doing the show that you always wanted to do. It's branched off into a second show. You're at the flagship place. Like this has got to feel like some moments of like, okay, we made it. Look, mama, we yeah, made it. No, no doubt. I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a long way to go. I feel like there's just so much more we could do a long way, but I, I'm proud. I, I do feel like, you know, like I've made it. I mean, like I said, I, I guess I'll never, like settle, but it, it definitely feels like, uh, like I said, it's kind of the crowning achievement, but again, we got more work to do. So it's not like, you know, I think there's, this could go to a different level, but I do feel that way. I mean, on, honestly, as a person, I don't think it's changed me at all, which is good. Like, I, like, I don't think I'm anybody, obviously like, you know, like, Oh, dude, you're, in fact, it's funny because if there's somebody out of us, it's Yanni, dude, he is a popular guy. Like <laughs> it's unbelievable. Like we'll go to the UFC expo, right? Everybody, yeah, he is a rock star. Everybody's we're we're standing next to you. This is true. People can laugh about this. We're standing next to each other, right? People come up and like, can I take a picture, Yanni? I'm like, I'm over here. like, you know, like. So I got so I got that with, I, I got that with John Gooden out here in Vancouver for the pay per view out here. Bunch of people came up. John and I were sitting talking. Hey, can we get a picture? And I tweeted out like I am now officially John Gooden's photographer. And the other guy <laughs> that gets it or got it when I was around in in Vancouver is Fabiano. The oh yes, he's awesome, dude. I love like everywhere yes. he goes, people are like shouting at him, yelling at him, wanting to come over, tell him he's great. And it's a whole group of UFC people and personnel that you've seen in the background of stuff, and then my goofy ass, and it's just rock star. So yeah, I understand. You do it, yeah. You that's exactly what it is, which I'm okay with it, you know. Oh, it's just funny. I, I don't I, if I, anybody I, I, ever was like, Hey Spencer, I'd be like, What the hell just happened? 
Yeah. No, I was no. surprised because this expo, there was some of that. And I was like, whoa, because the expo last year's expo, right. we got in and went to not one. I think, well, I, I, there's been a couple of people for my memory, Osberger. See, some of the diehards that have been like following for, sure. for like 20 years. For sure. Those guys will recognize me. Some like, God, we follow your site for how long or whatever. That's really cool because I know it's not even the UFC that, like, you know what I mean? They, right. they got me into right. their living rooms or whatever. It's kind of like, you know, so that's cool. So I do get some of that and more, and more people are. I don't care. I mean, it's it's kind of funny. It's just, but it, Yanni is a rock star. So from that end, I, I know I really. Realize I'm still not anybody, so I'm not like this. Like it's cool. I, the cool thing about making it to where I have is like me meeting people like Brendan Fitzgerald, like and getting to know him. I consider him a friend now too. He's such an awesome dude. Um, you know, looking for some of these guys from afar, or some of the fighters that you get to meet, or just being in the facility. You know, like it's it's so cool just to be in that environment. And so I just take it all in, and I feel fortunate every time I'm in the apex. I know this sounds corny, and people can say whatever. Oh, he's being a company man. No, it's not true, man. Every time I feel like I'm in the apex, it just I don't know. It's awesome. Like I said, I feel privileged to kind of be in there in that spot and, and feel fortunate to be again on that level and just to be around everybody. And, and the UFC staff, people don't understand how awesome they are. You, you know, very well, like they're genuinely, they're a happy staff. They work their butts off. Like they go out of their way, even for little people like, like myself and Yanni, like we're like low on the pedestal as far as like, you know, the UFC goes and they treat us like we're not, they treat us, you know, high. So I just love everything about, like the UFC, they treat you just so good. And, and again, just the atmosphere and being in the apex and seeing like the ultimate fighter, everything about it is just so cool. So I love it, man. It's a conversation with on Keyboard Kimura presented by One Bone, East Spencer Kite, Nick Kalikas. We will pause on the gambling side of things for a minute here and get into a little bit of, a little bit more of you. We've talked about the sport karate background. We've talked about the, the striking arts background. In addition to, or maybe separate to the gambling and the odds breaking and the odds setting. What are the other hobbies? What are the other interests? You're rocking a, a Golden Knights hat. I would imagine there's some getting out and checking out some some local live sports. Vegas is becoming a championship city with the Aces and the Golden Knights. What else is there? Are there secret skills? Are you a great cook? Can you dance? Can you sing? What else have we got? Man, now that you said that, I'm kind of embarrassed because there's not much else. Like, I mean, this has been my life for so long. There's not, I mean, this obviously, is, I'm a this is fan. the trend with these questions. I had Sean Madden on that's going to post next week, and he was like, dude, there's nothing else. <laughs> like, if it wasn't for my girlfriend and our dogs, I would just sit and watch fights all the time. And I was like, brother, this is why we get along. I'm the same yeah. way. I can cook a little bit, but like, this is it. I'm just all the way into work career passion the other stuff is fine i'll watch the odd show just give me this stuff yeah no that that is kind of what it is of course my kids are getting i have an 11 year old uh nine-year-old and the seven-year-old so with them you know I, i'll try to do as much as i can with them too it's, it's just awesome i mean i guess that would be yeah you know because it just it goes so fast i know i don't know if you have children yourself i don't know okay so but, but even with my niece and nephew like the two years of COVID where we didn't get to see them very much, they live now up the road. So we see them pretty regularly, but that two years where you're like, wait a minute, you just went from being, you know, two to four. And that's a huge jump. Like we had them over last week and, I'm, and my wife looked at me and was like, we missed this stage that my niece is at. She's five now with our nephew who's eight. Like we missed that sort of four, five, six gap where there's so much development and they go from, can't really understand them, can't express themselves to now they're just full-fledged little humans. And it's so wild. So I imagine with three and them being your own, it's like, 
where did the time go? This kid's 11. Yes. It's unbelievable. <laughs> like it really is. Like I can't, I mean, they say, like I said, cliche because it happens so fast, but it is. And I, I guess that's one thing I'm proud of too, because you're always worried as a parent, like, again, I mean, long way to go. Cause I know there's going to be some challenges ahead, <laughs> but like my kids settling in again with the pandemic and, you know, moving from Ohio to, my oldest was born in Costa Rica, actually. She was like, we moved to Ohio when she was like two. So, but my other two were born in Ohio, then transitioning over to Las Vegas in the pandemic and then school, you know, with online schooling, all that stuff. And then finally kind of getting more back to normal this past year and a half or so. Like they've done very well at school like to the point where they're excelling. They're I just, I'm so proud of them. That's so awesome. that's one thing, you know, so I, I try to keep up with them obviously as much as I can. I do work a lot, put the hours in, but I mean, I guess they get as much of my free time as I can. And of course, sports. I mean, I'm a huge Cincinnati Bengals fan. I'm a diehard Bengals fan. So there's been a lot of suffering through the years, but these last few years, have been not bad. Good. I got to so cool. say, yes. So um, very passionate about that. The Cavaliers, of course, so all the, like, you know, I guess sports. So I'm just a big sports. So like you said, the Vegas school Knights is cool. I've kind of adopted them a little bit. I'm still a Columbus blue jackets fan. Cause I'm okay. like those Ohio yep. roots, but it's kind of nice. Like Vegas is actually my secondary team and it's just so prominent here. Everybody's Vegas nights crazy. Even if they didn't win the cup, it's a Vegas lights crazy. You know what right. I mean? It's just so yeah. It's been, it's been crazy to see the like adoption of that team from its inception, obviously having success out of the gate. I always joke with people that it wasn't a like, Ottawa Senators debut it was like oh we're good right away whereas the Sens came out and they were terrible for about six years so it's cool to see but yeah like it's almost like Vegas was starved for their own team for so long that now everybody's just like we're all the way in on all of them yep it is it's a tremendous sports it really is man it's crazy it's a, it's cool I feel very fortunate to live out here too and it, it just blends in so well so Vegas is like you know becoming definitely my home now that being said and my wife is going to kill me for saying this, but my wife is not happy in Vegas, meaning that she's like, a lot of people are, it's one of those things you love it or hate it. And she's like, you know, she's from Costa Rica, the green and all that. And look, she, she's awesome. She'll do anything for me. That's why we're here. And she's put like, she's cool. She's adapting it. She, you know, she's making it work for sure. But I mean, this would probably not be her first choice. So it's one of those things where, you know, uh, like I said, you kind of love, hate it, but, uh, and, and, you know, it's just different a little bit, but I do love everything about it again. Cause I mean, you know, embedded with, you know, all the gambling, everything just, fits in so well for me here um and it's just you know it's fun it's a fun city you get the best of everything too like you know from dining to i don't know whatever you want everything's here basically there's you know what I mean? everything's at your fingertips so to speak so i guess being more of a vegas local and, and i'm kind of a newbie there's a lot of people that come travel to vegas that know vegas better than i do and i've been here for right. four years so it's kind of embarrassing sometimes they're like oh you know this button like no i don't have no clue so we'll go or check it out whatever so, yeah. So I guess outside of mixed martial arts, to get back to your, and the odds and all that stuff. I mean, it's just, I'm a passionate sports fan in general. And then I guess my family would be like, that's it. Other than that, there's not many hobbies. I'm not even uh, like working out martial arts wise myself. These last few years, I've definitely have not kept up on the training. So I'm not even a good martial artist in, in that regard anymore these days, but uh, it's always going to be in my blood. And my roots. Are the kids going down the martial arts route? Route? Sorry. Yeah. You know what? I've kind of been back and forth, not yet officially, not and in a gym officially or in, in a school, but you know, I've been doing some stuff with them a little bit. My uh, nine-year-old, she just turned nine. She has the most passion for it. Like, dude, she, I, I know, I, I don't know. It's one of those things for me. I don't know if I want to flip that switch. And cause if they like, if they have the passion for it, but it's fighting is a tough sport, you know? And, yep. and but even just training, right? Like even just not necessarily for, for competition sake, like part of the reason I got out of Taekwondo was it started to become too much of the competition, too much of the, working towards you need to get to be this point. And I was like, I just want to be in here every day and 
doing kicks and patterns and breaking boards and sparring in the gym. I don't want to be working towards, hey, if you do this for these number of hours in four years, you can go to the Olympics. It wasn't yeah. the th I knew it wasn't the thing I wanted, but I also knew that having sent somebody, that was a thing that was happening in that in that facility. And so right. could it just be a, hey, I like Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I want to go and train and and just get good at this without the competition side of things. Yeah, no, no, for sure. Yeah, I, I like that. For, we haven't done it yet, but I, again, I've kind of explored and I want to do yeah, that. For it sure. depends. So yeah, but that, so we've been just doing a little bit more like bat, basketball. They picked up basketball. I don't know if it's just for me watching basketball, but they're like, especially my youngest too, my nine-year-old, my seven-year-old. I mean, we have a basketball uh, hoop outside in our backyard here and, and they go out, they shoot. And, and it's, it's, cool to see because even the littlest things like uh they were you know they were shooting all crazy and sloppy and i'm not a good basketball expert by any means but i was telling them you know showing them the technique of the shot or whatever dude it's so awesome when you get to see them actually trying you know the first i don't know how many shots are awful but then finally when they get that shot and the form looks okay and it goes in and they, they start doing it again it's so cool so they, they yeah they're getting a passion for basketball which yeah i'll support them no matter what they want to do so right now they're kind of more in basketball mode for some reason but i love it anything they do you know what any sports whether it's martial arts whether it's whatever they want to get into i will fully support them because honestly martial arts probably saved my life in the day like there's a lot of you know kids that i went to school with that were getting in trouble and who knows where what direction my life would have went in if I didn't take that sport series, like the sport karate part. And, and again, being competing at a high level and, and wanting to keep my body in decent shape and, you know, taking it serious. I think that honestly probably impacted my life way more than I would even realize. So yes, I would definitely support my kids and anything they want to do like that. That's awesome. Yeah. I, we, I went to the driving range with my nephew and my brother-in-law a couple of nights ago. He wanted to go. It's the first year that he's been like, I want to try this golf thing. Got him a little bag, got him some clubs, whatever. And like, he's eight. He's never swung a club. It's terrible. But seeing that spark of, hey, I hit that and it went that far past that thing. I was expecting we get three, four, five balls in and him be like, nah, I'm out. But like we <laughs> yeah. finished. It wasn't great. And he was like, when can we come back? I was like, I can't wait for two years from oh, now when goodness. this kid is just like striping balls and he wants to come and play at the pitch and putt. And he wants to... He gets into this, like, won't be any pressure, won't be any anything, but like, hey, man, anytime you want to come and hit balls, just let me know. I'll come and get That's you. Awesome. You're up the road. We could go. It's, I can only imagine what it's like with your own kids. Yeah. Yeah. No, dude, because, dude, what influence you, you like, that kid could turn out to be an amazing golfer and, and you gave him a start. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Love it. All right. So we'll circle back now to this gambling stuff that, I joke every, and I mean, it's not even a joke at the start of all of my shows when I tape these things and put them out on Fridays. I think I have a pretty good understanding of MMA. I think I know these athletes. I think I have reasonable reads on how these fights are going to play out. And I can't cash a ticket to save my life some of these days. <laughs> so it's as, the, as the expert, as an expert in this field, what are some just baseline tips you can give, not just me, but anybody that wants to get into this space and wants to start exploring the MMA gambling space in terms of places to look for value, types of bets to make, things you sort of would lay out as your like beginner package of where you should start to get your feet wet in this field? That is a very good question. And there's so many different aspects and things I could point out, but I guess if you're just starting out, 
Well, first of all, I know it's again, it's going to sound for people that know about gambling. It's going to sound a little cliche, but bankroll management is very important. Right? Even on every scale, it does. Even if you're not sure exactly what portion of your bank, or whatever the case may be, just start off with money you can afford to lose for sure. That's one thing. So yep. if if you're trying to just come in here right away and say, "Look, I know flight's pretty good. I'm going to make some extra money. I need to make money." So and not of desperation, it's not going to work out good at all for you. Trust me. No matter how good, like you said, no matter how good we know the fighters, no matter it, it, it's crazy. It's not. It's a type of sport where just anything can happen. We see it time and time again. Like, I mean, look at that flukish Nunes the other, you know, um, the other weekend. She just, when she posted up her right. arm and Estella oh, break it. Yeah. Dislocating her elbow. Yeah. So stuff like that happens, you know, people had action on it. But so you just never know. I mean, craziness can happen. So make sure that well, that is the most important thing. So set aside a little bit of money that you could actually afford to lose because there's a good chance, especially at the beginning, you're going to lose it all. So yep. that, you know, uh, and, and I would just, Minimize the bet sizes. Like, so if you're starting off with a hundred dollars and it's crazy as it sounds, <clears throat> maybe go like $2 and 50 cents or $5 for your bets. So you have a hundred dollar bankroll only bet on that scale to start off. And, and again, I would go on that scale because even myself way back in, when I was getting my feet wet um, in Costa Rica, I was betting like maybe 15, 20, $25 a bet, um, you, you know, trying to build a bankroll, doing all that stuff, trying to figure things out. So that's what I would recommend. Just start off, like study the film, study the fighters, look at the, there's a few odd screens out there like that are uh, free of charge, like best fight odds. I'm sure like some of you guys know best fight odds is one of them. Um, there's also a site called fightodds.io. And I have again no affiliation with either of these guys, but they're fightodds.io and best fight odds. Although it's kind of like um, a, what I was talking about earlier, the Don best screen for right. a lot of and professional sports books out there it's kind of a minimized version of that so it's more right. basic with uh best fight odds and fight odds that oh and, and you could kind of look at the odds and different options that books offer now if you're just getting into betting it's probably not going to be one of those things where you have a ton of accounts so and it's a little bit harder so i would pick maybe a, a reputable sports book do your um research online if you whether it's online or if you're living now anywhere you're, i mean the states opened up a little bit you have DraftKings, you have fan duels out there mgm caesars there's so many different options i think if you get get to one of the, especially at the beginning if you get to one of those branded sports books that are so you're, you're gonna be okay i mean there's even you know i know there's that um I, there's that fine line where a lot of people will maybe disregard the offshore market or not but there's a lot of quality places offshore too that you know that make a huge impact on betting lines and then one of them is bet online give those guys some credit and shout out too as well um they're a good offshore book that sets a lot of the lines out there early and, and you know we'll we'll put up a lot of the smaller promotions as well so just get yourself in into an established book that is very good like i said whether it's the caesar's books the DraftKings books some place that you feel safe where your money right. is safe Again, there's so many places out there that you could do that. And then just start off on a smaller scale. Study the UFC fights. Like I said, maybe put a little bit of money aside. I would target at the beginning small favorites or underdogs. I know that, again, that sounds kind of crazy, but you don't want to get crazy and, and laying. It's one mistake that people have is like, especially for me, even betting, like the first couple bets I ever made, I think were like college football or, or football, NFL football. And they were favorite bets. I bet on favorites and they won and they covered the spread wherever. And I was like, Oh, this is too easy. I just have to bet on favorites and I'm going to cash in. These sports books are dummies. They're giving away free money. It, it obviously wasn't like that. You know what I mean? Shortly yeah. after I realized, Oh my God, it's, the favorites don't always win, but whatever the case, stupid stuff like that. So for me, I mean, target some of the, like I said, the dogs that you might, if, if you're doing research, 
and you look and you see a price out there with a dog is like plus 300 and you think, oh my God, this guy has a chance to win it. Like you've got to kind of form your own odds. Now, a lot of people might not understand how, again, how to go about that a little bit, but do, do your film study. And then maybe go back to the concept that I said, that like if a fighter fights 10 times, um, right. how many times does this fighter win? So if you're looking at, you know, a, a fight line that's plus 300 and you think it's more closer to 50, 50, then obviously you're going to have some value on that, um, on that price. And there's different, site aggregates out there um, and, and different places like odds calculators. You can look at betting, converting betting odds. There's just so much you can kind of Google and search like odds converter, for example, stuff like that. So you can see like you could convert the odds for, let me do one example here for the odds converter here. All right. So say you're betting hundred dollars on a, a plus 300 applied odds. So that would be about, the percentage closer to about, I, I believe, 70-ish percent or so, right, and stuff like that, or minus 400-ish would be the um, about 80% implied win probability. So that would mean, like, say, if I'm probably confusing people, but if you're laying minus 400, the implied win probability, again, around 80%-ish or whatever, so you're going to win. That person wins around 8 out of 10 times. So it's just a very, very basic structure. If you find value, if you think that odds – the line is off a little bit Then you put your little, again, five to 10 bucks on the spot where you think it's off. So if the dog has some value, you maybe put a little sprinkle as Johnny would like to say on the dog. Or if you think the value is on the favorite, again, if it's not up insanely priced, I wouldn't recommend at the beginning to bet anything over minus 200 or so. Now that doesn't mean there's not value of minus 700 prices as pro betters. There is, and people will find those spots and pick them apart with the larger bankroll and all that. I'm just for friendly bankroll yeah. management probably want to stick with some of the lower numbers, the, the dogs or the slight favorites and stuff like that. So if you feel like the number is off based on your research, and again, do some searches for odds converters, stuff like that, parlay calculations, all that stuff will kind of help you kind of get an understanding of the odds a little bit and then look at where it's at now and then kind of make your, I, I think, decision there, if that makes sense. I've probably confused everybody the way I said everything. But again, just kind of take it easy, pick your spots. And then once you realize that you're growing your bankroll, you'll see. Like, you'll see, you'll know right away if you're kind of doing good or bad. Um, and then in a few months down the road, if, if you can maintain that consistency and build a little bankroll and you're doing good and you're, you know, building a profit, then I think you're on your way. Now, that being said, there's going to be times where it doesn't, no matter what you do. <laughs> even, when, even when all your reads, all your information is right it still is mma and anything can happen and, and exactly can go sideways and there's sometimes where you can't win a, it doesn't matter how like those things don't fall your way you're like you could pick your spots well you could get good great closing line value and what the closing line value means for a lot of people and a lot of pro betters i mean they, a lot of sharp like sports books they will base a better's performance based off their closing line value. So if a, what I'm trying to say here for the more common folk is like, so if a line is a minus 200 and you take it a minus 200, the line closes at minus 300, you have outstanding closing line value. So people are like, Hey, this guy knows what he's doing. He got it at this price of minus 200. Now it's at minus 300. He beat the line market. And if you're consistently beating that line market like that, then you're a sharp better. There's no question about it, win or lose. But even if you're right. beating the line like that, there's ton of cases where, doesn't work out for you. You know, you can get into minus 200, close at minus 300. You got tremendous closing line value, but the bet ends up losing. So right. there's certain times where no matter what you do, like there's streaks that you go on and it is streaky. Some, I mean, I'm telling you, that's where you got to caution with, with people out there because you can get in a hot run and seem like you can never lose anything. You're doing everything right. right. You're picking your spots. It's just coming in so easy. You're thinking, oh, this, and then it goes the opposite. All of a sudden you're doing everything right still. And you just can't win a bet. It's like, like your bad luck, flukish stuff starts happening, split decisions, all sorts of crazy stuff. You're like, my goodness, this is right. what happened. I can't win a bet. So it, the ups and downs are real, even for the most professional bettors. I mean, 
the margins are small, man. I mean, winning sports betters, you know, it, it's not like they're holding a big percent. It's very small for winning right. sports. Betters. That's why, again, there's only 1% that actually profit in sports betting. I mean, that is very true. That's how difficult it is to actually win in sports betting. But that being said, MMA is a different beast. And if you're doing your homework at UFC and MMA, you can grind out profits. I, I really believe that. So if you're, if you're into it and you're really passionate about it and you do your work, I think by the end of the year, you're going to probably manage to grind out some profits because this is still a very beatable sport, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm going to try to get to that grinding out profits in the back half of this year. So far, we're only dealing with we're only dealing with losses thus far for the most. I mean, there's been some events where I've cashed a couple of tickets and these are all, as I say on my show all the time, just numbers on a spreadsheet. I'm not out here really in these streets making all of these wagers because I ain't got this kind of bankroll and. I've got a wife that loves me and would kick my ass if I was actually out there doing all of this stuff. I'm glad you touched on a bunch of the like ups and downs are real. Only, only put in what you can afford to lose. It's I start every show. I come with a responsible gambling message because as I said, grew up around it, worked in casinos. I've seen the downside of it and I don't ever want to see that for anybody else. You mentioned in there as well, sort of stay away from certain numbers when you're starting out. Is there a point for you? Is there a number for you, an odd for you where you're like, anything above this is probably not where you want to get in, where the juice is just really not worth the squeeze? Probably minus 200 above, honestly, at the beginning again. Now right. there's, yeah. So, but yeah, you could certainly find stuff at above that once you have a greater understanding, but yes, that's when it starts costing more to make some. Yes, because I mean, just just imagine. I mean, say you go two and one, right? So you won, you make three bets, you win two out of the three, but the one that you lose is a two to one. Like you know, you're laying two to one, you're even. You didn't win nothing, so right. you won more bets than you lost. But that one that you lost at the price that you bet just took all the profit away. Very easy to do. So you can sit there and hit bets after bet after bet, and then you lose one chalky favorite. Psh, just zaps everything away so that's why you have to be careful and that's why i'm saying approach it like anything minus 200 or below because again you're just kind of getting your feet wet out there so you don't want to go too crazy because again the variables everything it's just it's, you just never know a fighter can go out there and twist his ankle for crying out loud no matter how much of an edge you think that you have just always expect the unexpected and then one thing man we have to touch on before like we get out of here for sure is the judging the judging is crazy sometimes and it's just all over the place and i get it the criteria everything I respect it. it's not an easy job for those guys, but I mean, we're seeing split decisions sometimes and they're just head scratchers. And I don't think there's any corruption in the sport. I don't think there's anything like that. It's it's not like people are fixing these fights and doing all this stuff. I just think they're not on the same page, man. This is frustrating. I mean, you have some judges that obviously would like, you know, the wrestlers or whatever, the, the strikers, whatever the case may be there. But it, as I wish all of them would stick to the criteria, all be on the same page so we get some consistency in the judging. And that would be a lot better because that's one thing I'm bringing up because the wild card is definitely the judges and they burned me so many times and so many times that I thought I was on the right side of things and at the right price too, on top of it all. And they just take it right from you. You're like, Oh, so the judging is, that's another thing that, I mean, a lot of fans out there that might see some of these decisions, they might think otherwise, like, Oh, this sport's fixed. It's not, no, I I really don't. Like I said, I know there's been instances through the years, Japan, whatever this crowd situation not too long ago was not a good look for the sport, but overall it's been very clean. I don't think there's any dirty things, you know, from the judge or anything. Like, I just think again, people on the same page, unfortunately. And it's, it's been like that for a long time, by the way, the judging has been bad. It's not, it's not new. It's, it's a difficult sport to, 
to judge. We talk about it all the time. I talk about it all the time. Did a rewatch of the Pantoja Moreno fight, gave my thoughts. I came out with Ben Cartledge on the same side. So I understand that people look at me and they're like, you're an idiot too. <laughs> it's fine. It has nothing to do with the fact that I had Brandon Moreno bets on my show on Friday. Just the way sometimes you see it, right? And it really does come down to valuing that criteria. Those were all close rounds. Those were That was a super close well, fight. In that case, it was close. So in a case yeah. like that, I'm not going to be mad. I had Moreno right. too. Yeah. So I, I ended up losing. I, and again, talk about closing line value, dude. I, I got Moreno minus 160. He closed at minus 200. So yeah. I, like I, I did my job. I beat the market. Right. Uh, did everything so right. Shots. Did everything yeah. right. And you're watching the fight. You think, we got it. Sweet. I may have even put the the plus money in on the spreadsheet that keeps track of everything. And then they said, oh, and new. Yeah. And I was like, God damn, Bruce Buffer. <laughs> Killing yeah, me with yeah. this and new. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, it's so frustrating. But yeah, I mean, in those cases like that, for sure. Yeah, just the judges are, are tough. So you got to be careful. That's why, again, risking like two to one, three to one. And on top of it, you got to like depend on the judges to kind of get it right. Uh, yeah, it's it's frustrating for me but again the close decision i can understand it's just those those decisions that you the see. ones that feel like, real wonky yeah like you know 30 27 one way but the other guys have 29 28 the other now it's right. possible because maybe the rounds were so close that you right. can see it again i understand yep. that scoring but when you usually see those it's not like that like when you see a 30 to 27 and 20 it's like not because it was ultra competitive it's like that guy was way off on his scorecard right you know so, I don't know. so that is another thing you got to approach yeah. with caution you have to definitely take that in consideration because if the fights go to the scorecards, you just never know which way the fight's going to get scored. So, Are yeah. there for you certain bets, certain types of bets you will stay away from and that you just, I'm not like, you're not a big parlay guy. You're not a big round prop guy, any of those things, or is it everything's available, but it comes down to the number and the value. Definitely what you just said there. Everything's a bit so nothing's out of the question. I'm not as much of a prop shopper, I guess, or parlay guy. Um as most now, there's nothing wrong. Look, sharps are parlaying, they're they're finding a way to override limits sometimes and making two-team parlays, fight parlays or whatnot. Just say a limit's only five thousand dollars on this fighter. Okay, so you max bet that five thousand dollars. Now, if you add this guy in a parlay and some of the system software doesn't like stop that from happening. With another maybe high chalk favorite that you you think is a safe bet again. No, there's no sure bets, but something that you think is safe, like a nine nine to one favorite, whatever the case may be, you put that in, into there as well. So you can kind of find a way to you know manipulate the limits a little bit. So there is a lot of sharp betters. That the thing about uh, squares only bet parlays not true anymore. I mean, there's sophisticated sharp parlay betters that are picking off these sports books left and right. Sometimes they're not going crazy with these parlays, but they're finding a methods and way to do that too. So I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I'll do some two teamers. You know, I, I don't, I wouldn't go crazy with these long parlays unless you're having fun. Now, again, there's right. a difference. If you, if you want to throw five bucks on a, a lottery ticket type parlay, there's nothing wrong with that at all, right. man. It, it, you're going to hit them. Like, once in a great while, you're probably going to hit it, man. And it, and it just elevates. So every, every show of mine every week ends with, three parlays. And it started because I do my predictions and there was an event a couple of years ago where I went 12 for 12 with my predictions. And I was like, Ooh. imagine if I had just, and like, it was all chalk, right? Like don't, I think I had one dog in there. Neil Magny got a win and he was a slight underdog against Lee Jing Liang. And I was like, got that one. But I looked at it afterwards and was like, imagine if I had just a dollar on 12 for 12, like what would that have worked out to? So I joke at the end of every show, when I lay them out, we do the main card, we do the prelims, and we do the full card. 
And like the full card number is just ridiculous. Every single week. It's ridiculous. It's in the five, six digits sometimes. It's not going to hit. We're going to get two out of a hundred, maybe. But if we do, I'll come back the next Friday and just be laughing and giggling and telling you about what the bankroll looks like. That's the thing that I, so I hear you on the like big, long, extended 12, 13, four. I think this week is 15. This weekend is 15 fights. We're taping on July 20th. This will run a little later, but the London show is 15 fights. That's going to be a big number. Even if I just go all chalk. So for the, for the fun ones, sure. But I'm, I'm with you. The, Four, five, six team parlays, six fight, six fight parlays, just don't make sense to me. No, if you're doing it for big money, especially, yeah. Like I said, I, there's nothing wrong. I like the, what you're saying there because that's that's a way to approach it a little bit. Have fun with it, and like you said, put a couple combinations here. Do yeah, there's nothing wrong with it at all. And again, there's sharps that are actually doing this and trying to override limits and stuff like that too. Props is tough, man. I mean, in uh, most sports books, props are printing money because it's just right. so hard to find out. <laughs> right. Dude, like, look, one example, Bo Nickel recently right his win he got that awesome knockout win well guess what uh, and i had buddies actually message me and be like that price was ridiculous on bo nickel by knockout why was it up that high and i was like you have to understand something everybody in the planet was betting bo nickel by sub right like you know what i mean they thought out of the two like there's right. people don't get me wrong there's people that hit the knockout but the majority of the action at the sports books was on bo nickel by sub right so what they have to do is they have to kind of lower the sub price and then if they're doing their job right you have to be fair with your customers about hold percentage and stuff like that. So that means when you're dropping a certain price, like so, so much action's coming in on the submission prop, you have to drop that. So you don't get, keep, keep getting crushed, especially if it's narrative. Cause that was obviously the most narrative way, you know, with his wrestling and his grappling right. or whatever that he was going to win. So you're going to continue to get action on that almost no matter what price you have it at. So they drop that, but then you have to kind of increase something else to give, to kind of get that hold back to again, to have some fairness a little bit. So then the knockout prop, actually you give out more of a price, more money and value on that price because you're trying to get some bites on there. You're really trying to get people to bet that. So it kind of balances your, your right. sheet out a little bit. So that's what was going on. And one of my buddies was like, why was it so over? I was like, because nobody was like bad. Nobody, as much. Yeah, so nobody they, thought it was going to happen. Yeah. So yeah. that's why I mean, stuff like that happens. You think, oh, I got a submission guy. This is the only way. And he goes and wins my knockout or it's vice versa. It's crazy. Or the other thing that we see too with props, the guy gets on the ground. You have a ground fighter. Phenomenal, right? He gets the guy in the ground. He gets top position. He gets mount. You think he's going to sink in the choke. Well, he starts raining down some punches. TKO stoppage. Your sub guy just won by TKO stoppage right. on a ground. You're like, oh, my God. so, dude. It's like, rough. Yeah, no, props are winners for the sports. But the cool thing is about a prop, again, kind of like a parlay, if you're putting a little bit of money down and it's some big number out there and it cashes, you're going to be very, very happy. So it's almost like, you know, you can definitely pick props and pick your spots, especially if you like a fighter, like if you like this guy to win at minus 150 and you, you know his his main path to victory is maybe by knockout, then okay, to, to balance that out a little bit, take a stab at this and then maybe put a little bit by that exact method. But the exact methods are very difficult. I'm telling you, from experience, the, the sports books are printing money on props, for sure. Yeah, this is a thing that I'm going to definitely take to heart as I sit down later today and start working on London London bets that I will lay out on Friday. Before I let you go, Every gambler that I know can tell me they're they're the the worst beat, the baddest beat. Oh my god! Some I, struggle I to get to the best cash because that's the one you don't necessarily think of. Because hopefully you're having a lot of them. But if you can remember, we don't need numbers. We don't need actual okay. like here's <laughs> here's what I bet. These are the numbers because that's private. That's proprietary information. But what's the 
what's the worst beat and what's the best maybe on what's the what's the underdog play that you remember that you were just dialed in on that you that you got right dude uh I, I'm gonna. I want to reference the year too. This okay. is gonna take you back. This is gonna take you back. Like, all right, hold on a second. Joe Stevenson versus Josh Near. Like, okay. if you, <laughs> this is so. Some people probably don't even know who these guys are. Uh, that are listening <laughs> right. to the show right now. But I, I'm, I'm looking it up as we speak right now to see what year that was. Uh, let me see where the Josh Near, 2006, dude. 2006 holy cow i didn't realize it was that far back but so john this is one of my like i think one of my best uh like bets and and odds making like it it was one of the again and i I started making odds and like we said at the end of 2003 whatever the case may be and this was in 2006 this fight this was a spot where joe stevenson was coming off of the ultimate fighter win right like he was he won the ultimate fighter he was a, a serious prospect um Josh Newbert's one of these savvy vets that was kind of right. flying under the radar at the time. And, and, and he was a good fighter, but you know, this was a spot where a lot of people thought Joe Stevenson, it was made for Joe Stevenson to kind of, you know, roll it up. I went through the, the fight again, just being neutral. I like Stevenson as well. I understood the situation, but when I went through and broke down the fight and went through all, what you know, all my information, all the footage, everything I could, I was like, Oh my God, Josh Newbert's going to win this fight. This is a terrible <laughs> matchup for Joe Stevenson. Right. Terrible. So, I opened the line, I believe. Did I open Josh? I think I opened. I have to go back and look at all that stuff. So this might not be exact, but just I'll give you guys the roundabout point. I opened Josh there as a very slight favor. So maybe minus 140, minus 135, recall. Or it was Joe Stevenson, minus 130, minus 140. So very close line. The action immediately started coming in on Joe Stevenson. Like you wouldn't, like he already won the fight. Like everybody right. knows it was Ben right. Stevenson. And I was like, holy, it was unbelievable. I couldn't, it was one way traffic from beginning to end, man. It was, it was insane. The line ended up closing like Joe Stevenson, I think minus 300 ish or above. So I opened it close to a pick. I mean, the line ended up, you know, uh, dude, as the line was going, I was adding more on Josh Neer. I was like, holy, people are crazy, man. Josh Neer's going to beat this guy. Sure enough, he goes out there and dominates a three-round decision. Josh Neer, all those people laying Joe Stevenson, got smoked. I was on the other side all happy. I, that, this is for me, like, I, that was one of the moments where I knew I was doing something right. You know what I mean? Like, yep. No, by absolutely. Doing research, they're doing my, you know what I mean? And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm definitely on to something. I'm doing something right. Like, I just got to keep doing what I'm doing. So that was one thing that's always going to stick out in my mind because, it was. I, again, I've had other spots like this throughout the years for sure, like similar situations. There's no doubt. And I'm going to have more of these probably too. But that being said, it was just one that I really just is kind of embedded in my head because I just remember the sweat too that I had. I was like, oh my God, if I'm wrong here, I'm going to look like a real, like, Right, dummy, like a big time, but thank God I was right. And again, it just instances like this, believe it or not, like along the way, it got like even the places I was working for, it definitely gave me more respect. They were like, Oh my gosh, you're right. Everybody, all these sharps were on this side, you were on the you were the only you know, the robot by yourself on this side, and you were right. So it just kind of like you know, verifies your positioning and stuff like that. So for me, again, I know that's not a very popular one, but that is where like one of my best wins, I guess, was of all times. Now, bad beats are so many of them, man. I mean. I, you know, every weekend I think there's a bad beat here. <laughs> right. As far as the worst, I mean, there's been so many fights. It all kind of blends in. The fight cards blend in. So I can't even right now tell you like exactly what my worst beat is. But this one in particular, as far as one of my best performances or whatnot, would definitely go back. Now it wasn't the most money I ever made for sure, but it was just one that stands out in my mind sure. the most. No, it's a good, it's a good shout to a to an old fight. It was Joe's first fight after the Ultimate Fighter, I believe. That yes. certainly would have. So. Ca- 
certainly would have contributed to the no Joe Stevenson because we only knew a handful of fighters at those in those days. That's how long you and I have been around doing this. I appreciate this time. I appreciate the years of service to this industry. Happy to see all of the success. Before I let you get on with your day, let people know where they can follow you, where they can watch these shows, where they can get all of your information. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, you can follow me at Twitter. That's mainly where I'm at. I'm on Instagram as well. Fight Odds on my Twitter handle. So just at Fight Odds on Twitter, at Fight Odds, Nick underscore Nick Kalikas on Instagram. Of course, check out UFC on the line on UFC Fight Pass. The Gambler's Perspective is a weekly show as well. We cover all the UFC events also on UFC Fight Pass. And as mentioned, MMAOddsBreaker.com. So check it out. We'll have some new stuff before you go in there as well. Really appreciate the time. For Nick, I am Spencer. This has been a conversation with. See you soon.